Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads Podcast, the show where Mark Meckler and Rita Peters discuss hot-button issues from a biblical perspective, helping to equip other Christians to bring light to a darkened culture. Rita is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs, and Mark serves as the CEO and co-founder for Convention of States Action. Find out more by visiting conventionofstates.com slash pod. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I'm your host, Rita Peters, along with my co-host, Convention of States President Mark Meckler. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. It's good to be with you, and I'm super excited about what we're starting today, Rita. This is near and dear to my heart. Oh, I know. Mine too, Mark. So we'll let you, our listeners, in on what we have planned for you Today, we are starting a 10-week series of programs on servant leadership. And I want to start off right away by saying this series is not just for people who aspire to be business or political leaders. This course is really for anyone who just wants to do life well, because it looks at the principles of leadership from a really biblical perspective, which is why we wanted to bring it to our Crossroads program. The truth is, wherever we are interacting with coworkers, classmates, family members, business associates, those are all the places where faith and culture meet. And I believe this material will just help us all to make the most of those interactions and understand um, the intersections in our own lives. Mark, I know you feel so strongly about this course that you encourage staff members at Convention of States to study it. Why do you feel so strongly about it? You know, Rita, I'm an old guy now. I'm 60. And a lot of the things that are in this book, I wish I would have known when I was 20 or 30 or 40, et cetera. And I picked a lot of it up along the way from reading business books after I became a Christian when I was 51 years old. And I started to see how these things related. And the Bible is the ultimate manual for how to live your life as a Christian. Everything's in there, literally every lesson you could need to know. And we learn all this other stuff, and sometimes we're disconnected from how these things connect to Scripture. One of the things that I really love about teaching servant leadership, of course, Jesus Christ was the ultimate servant leader, but we can put it in everyday modern language and then tie it back to Scripture. And I think that makes these lessons even more profound and more relatable for the modern day. And that's what I'm looking to do is to help people live a life of true servant leadership. Absolutely. Well, for those of you listening, for this series of programs on servant leadership, we're using a book by that name, Servant Leadership, and the author is David Kuhnert, and that's spelled K-U-H-N-E-R-T. You can buy the book on Amazon if you'd like to follow along with us every week, chapter by chapter. Just go to Amazon, look up Servant Leadership, and again, the author is David Kuhnert, K-U-H-N-E-R-T. And, you know, I've met David Kuhnert, but Mark, you actually know him, don't you? Can you tell us a little bit about him? Who is he? Yeah, Dave was a master sergeant in the Army. He was hired by a really good friend of mine and one of my mentors, Tim Dunn, to help run production at his oil company. It's kind of funny because he'd never been in the oil business. 
He'd not done any kind of production. But what Tim found when he met Dave was a guy who was passionate about servant leadership, who had been teaching leadership at a very high level in the military for a very long time, who shared his value set as a devout Christian, and they wanted to work together to create a training program inside of Tim's oil company to train people on how to be real servant leaders. So Dave has real world life experience, both in the military, which is super structured, obviously, also in the business world, working under one of my mentors. So I felt like, man, when I met Dave, I was just meeting a brother because here's a guy that was dedicated to teaching leadership, dedicated to the Lord, and he'd done it in both the military and business world. So for me, that crossover and that approach to things, the structure and the heart together or why I love Dave Kuhnert so much. And he does this as well as anybody I've ever seen. When you buy the book, by the way, one of the things you're gonna see is it's not the fanciest you've ever seen. It doesn't have the fanciest graphics or the best pictures, but it gets to the heart of the matter, which is how to be a servant leader. Yeah, absolutely. And Mark, throughout this series that we're doing, we will have some special guests with us. And these are folks who actually coach other people on this material. So for the first few chapters, beginning today, we have Chris Thomas, who works in our mentoring department at Convention of States. Chris, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rita. So glad to be here with you and Mark and glad to talk about something I've actually become extremely passionate about since joining the Convention of States team. In fact, Mark, didn't tell me he was doing this, but when he interviewed me for the role that um, I started in Convention of States in, he outlined the entire book. And as he was saying, I think I even said to you, Mark, at some point, my heart is singing. This is an organization <laughs> I want to work for. This is an organization I've tried to build in other places I've worked and, uh, and it, reading the book and beginning to teach it and uh, digest it more has only confirmed that more to me over the last year and a half. So I'm absolutely honored to be with you guys. Yeah, it's really great to have you. And I know you've had a chance to meet Dave Kuhnert as well. So you obviously have your own impressions. Can you talk a little bit about Dave and then also talk about why you're so passionate about teaching servant leadership and, and just bringing it to other people's lives? Uh, well, I think Rita said this at the beginning as she was introing this topic, that it's it's good material. It's good learning to be just a generally good human being, to live life well. So I really think this is this is just a book about how to be a good human. And really, that's actually, I think, what the Bible says we are as humans. We are God's stewards in creation. We're his image bearers. And so we have been given this role of servant leadership. We are to serve God by serving God's creation, and we are to lead creation in, in God's image. So I think that this book is really just about how to be a good human, and it uses what we know from the Bible, but also great sound psychological, you know, in business leadership models and stuff like that from the future. So it puts it into language that's very digestible by modern day people in a way that uh, I think is very helpful. I have found it extremely helpful, and I've been in leadership for 21 years, working in the church as a pastor and youth minister before that. And I've read dozens of leadership books. And uh, even though this book has its flaws, it's not, it was originally self-published. And so it has some typos and things like that in there if you get the self-published edition. But uh, it pulls these principles together in a cohesive way that I think is really transformative. Uh, and I have found it transformative. And so mentioning that, the, that 
second edition or first edition. The first edition was published by David himself um, with the help of Tim, and they they published it through an organization called Author House. So if you want to get the first edition, that's actually what we're going to be talking about over the next nine weeks. And that's the chapter order we're going to follow. Um, you can get it there. You can also get it on Amazon. The, the key to tell is that the um, first edition, the self-published edition, has a black cover. And the new second edition that has some added material, it's also phenomenal, but it won't follow along with how we're I'm going to be talking about it. That has a blue cover. And uh, the graphics look a little bit more updated, a little nicer. So choose the one that looks self-published. <laughs> it has a black cover, and you'll be you'll be safe for following along. But the new edition is also really great, uh, too. David mentioned something in the first chapter in the new edition that he doesn't in the first edition. And that is his his call to leadership and his call to do the things that he's been doing with with training in leadership has really been because he was a survivor of active battle and he watched um, people around him fall in battle. And he he struggled with why did I survive? Why didn't they survive? And he had that survivor's guilt, that survivor's remorse. And he resolved that he was going to make his survival mean something so that he would honor those that that fell beside him. And I've had a chance to meet David a couple of times. And I'll tell you right now that that exudes out of David in everything he does and says. He is one of the most generous, humble, loving, gentle um genuine authentic caring you know when you're when you're talking to him you think i'm the only person this man cares about <laughs> and i i've only had a chance to meet with him maybe three times or something like that and do some emails back and forth but i can i can just tell that he lives this material it's not just something he teaches he really genuinely lives it and, and teaches it from experience well so let's go ahead and dive into chapter one which is about the structure of leadership and having a framework for life that chapter starts with uh, now, obviously, in the new edition, him talking about his experience, but also defining servant leadership. So can you dive into that for us and, and define what it actually means, servant leadership? Yeah, David defines servant leadership really simply. It's influencing others to get there. That's that's his definition. And at first, that can seem a little weird. Wait a minute, influencing? That sounds manipulative. No, actually, it's not. God... Uh, his orientation towards his creation has always been influencing. He never makes human beings do anything. Uh, and so he gives them the ability to choose to follow him or to reject him. And he he attempts to influence us into a relationship with him, into transform transformative relationship with him. And so really it's a it's a part of our creative nature and being made in the image of God that we as leaders are called to influence one another. If you think about one of the key roles of leadership that a lot of us experience in being a parent, your role as a parent is to guide and direct and give foundations in their early years. But as they get older, as they become teenagers and they start to gain that autonomy, you move into the influence game. And you're really wanting to have a, a seat at the table and have conversations with them so that you can keep influencing them as they grow older and make sure that they're making the right decisions. So I love that he uses that term. And really, David frames it in such a way where you're thinking about the other person's needs and what is best for the other person. So you're helping them not to get somewhere you're wanting them to get, which would be manipulative. You're helping them to get somewhere that they want to get or that they should get because that's a part of who they are. So now that we hear how servant leadership is defined, you know, influencing someone to get from here to there, 
now I think our listeners can can get a good picture of why this is applicable to everyone. I mean, everyone has situations where um, they're doing that or wanting to do that. So the chapter now goes into talking about this there here path. Explain that for us. So it's pretty simple. We as human beings need to know where we're going. And that's the there. That's that's our goal. That's what we're our objective, what we're trying to accomplish or what we're trying to become or do. And in order to get there, we kind of need to know a relative position. And that's our here. That's where we are right now. And then when we know our here and we know where we want to go, we can better define the path to get from our current here to the place we want to go, the goals that we might set the um, pathway or or strategies or tactics we might use to find our way to that goal, to there. So it's a way of organizing our thinking. And actually he gives you two different ways in chapter one of the first edition to think about this, the there here path, which is a vision setting process. If you're imagining something that you want to be, you do the there here path, you set the there first, and then you start to evaluate where your here is, and then you you create the strategies for the path to get from here to there. But there's another way you can do it, and that is if you're problem solving. If you've run up against some struggles, you can use the here or there path. And you start first with analyzing where are we, and then you start to look at, but is that where we want to be? Okay, no, then we want to be there. So now let's make the path to go from here to there. So there's two ways you can look at it. One is vision setting, the there, here path. And the other is problem solving the here or their path. And it, it just depends on the context you're in for how you use it. But both are the same pro- process. It's identifying where you want to go, where you are, and then how to get there. You know, I think it's really funny, Chris, because sometimes this seems so simple. Like it just makes sense. Like most things in the Bible just make sense. And most business uh, books make sense. But it's not easy, I would say. And one of the reasons it's not easy is deciding where you're at right now that uh, sort of exercise of understanding reality, being especially being able to look at the reality about yourself. Very good at looking at ourselves as human beings. We have our own perception. It tends to exclude any kind of self-criticism naturally. So I think understanding that, that finding your here is not easy, setting a clear vision is necessary. And all of that ties in with the concept of clear communication, using language that other people can understand, being really clear, making sure everybody understands what's going on. Can you talk a little bit about from the perspective of the book, why is clarity in language and communication so important? A couple of reasons. We're going to talk more deeply about communication and clarity when we get to chapter nine, because that's the entire purpose of chapter nine. But he does mention it in chapter one, and he uses actually the story of the Battle of Little Round Top and uh, Lieutenant Joshua Chamberlain to illustrate this point. And what we see in this story is that uh, Joshua Chamberlain, who had purchased a commission to be an officer in in the uh, revolution or in the uh, Northern Union uh, forces, uh, was marching to battle at Gettysburg. And he comes across a a unit of sharpshooters who had lost their way. They, They didn't know where their unit was and they were leaving. They were actually going to go back to um, Maine, I think is where they were from. And he he's also from Maine. And so he sees them. He, he actually has orders to shoot traitors or deserters on site, but he doesn't choose to do that. Instead, he casts a vision for them. This is the mission that we've been given to protect the flank of the Union forces on uh, this little round top, this mountain, this little hill. 
and to protect them so that, that we can uh, be an important part of making sure that the forces can overtake the ground and, and become uh, the victors in this battle. And I, I want to invite you guys to join us. You can go home and you'll probably face some kind of disciplinary charges. But if you come with us, you can you can fight for the same vision that we've been given and try to accomplish this. But, so by being clear what they were what they were fighting for, he called them to believe in that mission. And he was they were able to join not with some false pretenses, not with a misunderstanding, but with an absolute clarity. When we join this man to go and fight with his unit, we're going to fight to the death to protect the flank of the Union forces. And because they knew that, that's what they did. And those those sharpshooters became a turning point in that battle. They protected uh, that unit to be able to to do that, um, their their task, that mission well and then uh, they succeeded they were able to protect the union forces and and the union won that battle as we know mm. yeah that's a that's a great story and i want to add to something you were saying earlier about the book just being pretty clear and straightforward and easy to read because that is just so true of this book it is it is an extremely easy read and I love the fact that he gives stories and examples to sort of flesh out what he's talking about. So um, Chris, David Kuhnert talks about the fact that we have lots of different kinds of goals in life in all different areas of life and how these are all individual theirs for purposes of the there here path. So um, can you give us some examples of different types of goals? And then the author goes into a discussion of transcendent theirs. So I want to get to um, talking about what a transcendent there is, but maybe you could just give us some examples of other types of theirs that are applicable to this discussion. Yeah, any goal that you might want to do in life, losing weight would be a there right? I weigh this much now. I want to weigh this much. <laughs> so that would be yep. a there. Uh, increasing your overall cardio fitness or something, you know, that could be a goal. Uh, learning a new skill, that could be a goal that would fit into there as well. So we're going to dive more deeply into how to set goals next chapter and to talk mm -hmm. about how understanding those there's in our life can lead to us setting actually more milestone goals that lead us to that bigger goal that we're trying to accomplish. But they're all essentially us determining where we want to be in comparison to where we are and then moving that direction. And it's very, it's very good to think about this kind of stuff. Mark, you mentioned it, that we often aren't very self-reflective. We live life kind of unintentionally. And one of the things I love about this book is it forces us to begin to think more intentionally about our life, to set those goals very intentionally, to follow up on those goals very intentionally. And just that intentionality alone will change your life to say, I have an intention. I want to go to this. I want to change this thing about me, or I want to do this thing. And then to follow through with a plan of action uh, is really important. And we're going to learn too later that there, there is always going to be obstacles in that path you, that you didn't see when you set out the path originally. Right, Mark? Did you see uh, Convention of States going the way that it's gone over the last eight years? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> and so there, there is a, another key principle we're going to learn about called act, learn, adjust, where you you act on the best information you have, but as you 
learn uh, new data on the path towards your there, you sometimes have to adjust. You have to find a new path. You have to find a new way around an obstacle or you have to create a new strategy. So those goals are so important because they help get us set in the right direction. And then we can begin to um, refine our path, refine our strategies to get to that goal once we're on it. But we can't really set out to go there until we've got that goal set. So any goal that you might have in your life, that would be there. Now, just briefly, Chris, explain what a transcendent there is. Yeah. So transcendent there is something that's totally different. I like to tell people in our servant leadership classes at the convention of states that a transcendent there is like a North star. It isn't a place you're trying to arrive. It's a guiding point on your horizon that makes sure that you're always heading the generally right direction for your life. David says that this this is a goal that you can't accomplish. Now, I would change it a little bit. I would say it's not a goal you can't accomplish. It's a goal you can't finish. You can accomplish it over and over and over again, but you might not be able to finish. So transcendent there might be something like, I want to uh, love God and serve people. You can love God every day and serve people every day, but you're going to have another day tomorrow that you mm. can love God and serve people. And you you're going to meet new people that you can serve and be a servant to. Uh, I know my transcendent there, it, it's, it should be short. It should be like a, a bumper sticker kind of statement is uh, I stole it. I stole it from a famous guy. Uh, John, the baptizer is I must decrease that he may increase. Mm. And so that's my transcendent there. Am I being more about me or am I being more about Christ and following Christ? What is, what is my current position in that, in relation to that transcendent there that helps to guide me. Then you get to measure all of your milestone goals and your, your transcendent or your smaller theirs, the accomplishable theirs in your life. Those get to be judged against that, that transcendent there, because maybe I might have a transcendent there, or I might have a, a milestone there, a smaller there that I can accomplish. It's actually going to take me off the path of, I must decrease, he must increase. And if that's the case, then that's not a goal worthy of me even chasing after, because that's not something that's going to lead towards me accomplishing or moving in that direction. I know my life needs to move in the direction of. So, it, so it helps to refine us. It helps us to say no to things because there's a lot of really good things out there. They're going to ask you for their time. And sometimes you got to say no to those things because they aren't something that actually leads you on that path that, that God has you on for that transcendent there. Yep. You know, it's interesting to me because I find, especially when I'm working with young people, they're learning a lot about setting goals. You know, that might be getting their 4.0 in high school or graduating from college, becoming a lawyer, whatever their career goals are, uh, finding a family, finding a husband or a wife and starting a family. But on the idea of transcendent goals, it's a little bit murky to them. And most of them haven't even heard of the concept, you know, and, and you Yours was really well stated, Chris. Mine is, I, I try, I want to be a better Christian, father, husband, friend, and leader. And so being better, you know, what does that really mean? Can I ever get there to where I'm done with that? And the answer is no. And oftentimes when I'm trying to help coach people through the difference between setting goals and setting transcendent goals, what I ask, what I say is I ask them, can you finish that? And when you do, will you be looking for the next one? In other words, if your goal is like you gave weight loss, to lose 50 pounds, when you get on that scale and you've lost 50 pounds, you're going to say, okay, I, I did that. What next? Next might be, I'm going to run a marathon or I'm, you know, I'm going to get more fit or whatever your goal is. But if you say, you know, if your goal is I'm going to be a good Christian, there's never going to be a day when you step up and be like, well, 
all right, I'm all done with that. What's next? <laughs> and so that's yeah. if you're not looking for the next thing after you finish whatever the goal is, then you're dealing with a transcending goal. And I love your description of that as a North Star. I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. You mean and, you haven't accomplished the goal of being a good Christian yet? <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> for sure not. <laughs> oh, he's on the path. Well, in the book, David Kuhnert points us to the transcendent there of Jesus Christ. He quotes Philippians 2, 4 through 8, which says this, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So what does that tell us about Christ's transcendent there, Chris? Yeah, well, I think it shows us what the transcendent there of all human beings are, is to be a servant. And and that is a part of the very nature of being made in the image of God. God is a servant. God constantly gives, uh, even before God created, if there could be a concept of before, one of the things the Trinity shows us is that in the interrelationship of of the persons of of the Trinity, there's a constant eternal giving to one another from one another. And so God God's nature is selfless and is servant oriented. And so when he creates human beings to be the crown of his creation and to be the steward and ambassador of his will in in this created universe, it's to be servants. So um, I think that that's what Jesus is pointing us to when he becomes a human being and actually lives the life that we were intended to live. He's showing us what our transcendent there should be, which should be to be a servant of all, including serving God, serving others and serving our creative world. Anything else that you can think of specifically in scripture? You know, I know you were a pastor for a lot of years, a youth minister that points us directly to what we're being told by Christ, by our Lord, by the word, what our transcendent there should be. Yeah, I love that Philippians uh, 2, 4 through 8 passage. It's it's powerful, um, but there's, there's a whole bunch of scriptures that are <laughs> all over the Bible that talk about uh, who we are to be as well. Uh, Jesus gives a famous a sermon that has been called the Sermon on the Mount because that's the location that he gave it. But in it, he regularly points to the condition of our heart and whether we're self-seeking in our heart. Uh, and you could find this in Matthew 5 through 7, uh, I believe. And he talks about the condition of our heart. He, he even talks about how uh, we can look good on the outside and by being religious, by by doing all the right things. But what's our internal motive? And so he constantly points that out. You could not kill anybody, but if you've hated people in your heart, have you really actually loved them? <laughs> you've, you've pretty much murdered them. You just haven't done it physically. So I think the, the Sermon on the Mount would be a good place to go and look and see how Jesus points constantly to this, this servant perspective and how we are to be servants of, of God and of the world that he's made us uh, stewards over. 
Well, Chris, I know that we have two more sessions with you, which I'm excited about, but we're almost out of time for today. So I'd like for you to end the program. We have about two minutes left. Tell us how servant leadership has impacted you, maybe why it, how it challenges you. Oh, man. That's uh, a longer story, but one of the things that I have really been transformed from in this book is actually a concept that comes from a man named Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a survivor of the Holocaust, uh, actually survived Auschwitz partially by luck. I got transferred right before a mass killing at Auschwitz happened. Everybody he knew died in, in um, the Holocaust, but he was a psychotherapist from Austria, from Vienna. And he had been working on a psychotherapy beforehand that he that he kind of made his purpose while he was in the concentration camps, his rebuilding uh, his manuscripts that were destroyed by the Nazi regime. And uh, he, David pulls from his material to give you uh, three things that you can control. And we'll talk about this a lot more later in the book. But the three things you can control are who you trust, your how you think your your worldview perspective attitude all those things and then what you do your actions and your reactions and notice what's not in that list mark i can't control you right mm. if, nope. in fact mark mark has said this a few times and i really love it he says i have a hard time controlling those three things what makes me think i can control those three things about somebody else i yeah. love that that reminds me of a quote from milton friedman on uh, just economic policies and and um, centralizing economic policies but anyway uh I, I struggle with that. I want control over this world. I want control over other people. And I think I have a very common sinful human tendency to not only want control over other people, but also to not take responsibility to control the things I can control about my own life. And this book has given me a lot of freedom to remember, oh, I can't control that person's reaction or response. If I, if I happen to say something to them, that might be a difficult truth for them to hear. If they respond poorly, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is how I bring them that truth in the first place. Was I kind? Was I gentle? Mm. Was I, was I compassionate? Was I empathetic? Did I listen to their perspective and their side of it? And so I can only control the things I can control about myself and then leave the rest up to God and to other people to control their aspects of their life. And that has been so transformative to me because I, I did not live into that fully I might have known that on an intellectual level in some way or another, but I didn't live into it in a way that I feel like this book has helped transform my heart in a, in a pivotal time in my life to, to be, to own more. Mm, that's good stuff. Mark, parting shots in 30 seconds. Yeah, look, this is something that is deep within our organization, Convention of States. Rita, I know it's something that you work on and live by. I do. Chris does. Hundreds and hundreds of people have now been trained in this. We're doing it every day in our organization. I would encourage you to make it part of your life. I know the words part of your life. I know you're reading scripture. I know you guys study this. I know you're followers of the Lord, generally speaking, or you wouldn't be here, but this gives you a methodology, a methodology and a structure for learning to be a better servant leader. And wherever you are, whether you're already a high level servant leader or you're just getting started, we think this will really help you. And that's why we're so excited to bring this to you. Absolutely. Well, that's going to have to be the final word for today. 
I want to thank our generous sponsors at Blue Ridge Chimney Services, Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries with Christian Radio, Wishing Well Florists and Travel Services, and our friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren. Thank you all for listening and also for your encouragement and for your continued financial support. If you'd like to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg, 22803. And if you'd like to send us a personal note, you're welcome to do that. You can use that same P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg, 22803. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Rita Peters with Mark Meckler and our engineer, Robbie Meadows. And today we've had our guest, Chris Thomas, inviting you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com. 